Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the next episode of The Grind. Uh, Hope your day is going well. I am Dave McClung, and with me is the lovely the unfathomable uh, Chad Grigsby. I couldn't think of anything else to say. Great answers. <laughs> Have you ever been called unfathomable before? I don't think so. <laughs> Pretty sure no. Yeah, yeah. It's probably never again. Never again. Want but to it, be. Was, it was good the, the yeah. first time and the last time. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, guys, you know, this is what you expect. You never know where it's going to go from the beginning. So, uh, uh, But it will be a fun ride, a fun journey. So, yes. uh, yes. hope you had good weeks since our last good week. Time our recording. Uh, son turned five this weekend. Yeah. And uh, we took him to Monster Jam. Awesome. Uh, so that was with like monster trucks. Yeah, like and stuff. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> you know, he loved it. Yeah. So it was a great weekend. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, my uh, uh, daughter made the chancellor's list after her first semester in college, and so it's pretty awesome, and she broke up with her boyfriend, so... That's even more awesome. That's even better, (laughs) so no more stinky guys running around chasing my daughter, and uh, we love Garrett. He's a good kid, and uh, they're just going different directions, so she she has... uh, uh, decided that God's leading her to children's ministry with her education degree. And so she's Funny. diving into that. So we're pretty excited about that. She's, she's great. And, uh, and then my oldest son is getting or ready to graduate. So we got lots of crazy stuff going on in the Clung household. So it's exciting. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, hey, we are excited, ecstatic, uh, filled with wonderment today. Uh, Cause we have, uh, Neil Cole with us via Zoom all the way from California. So welcome, Neil Cole, to the grind. Thank you. It's good to be with you. <laughs> and he waves. They can't see your wave I there. They can't see my wave. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, they would expect nothing less from, from uh, us in this, in this podcast. <laughs> Stuff good to be like with that. you. So, uh, well, we are excited uh, to have Neil join us today. Neil's going to be joining us in Arkansas in person uh, April 19th and 20th. Uh, the 19th will be in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, at First Farmington. At First Farmington, that's yep. right. And uh, with a good buddy, Kerry Weaver, up there. Thanks for hosting us there. And then in Conway here in Central Arkansas at City Church. Uh, with Joey Cook and uh, some great things going on there. And so uh, if you haven't registered uh, for that event, uh, we've got Eventbrite links up in several different places. And so check that out and come join us for that one day where we talk disciple making with Neil. And so we decided we'd see if we could get him on the podcast and and, uh, pick his brain and do some preview and promo for the event coming up and just talk disciple making and movements and church planting and and so uh neil thanks for joining us glad to have you man oh thank you for letting me be here yeah great stuff so kind of just to kick off for for those that may not be as familiar with you kind of tell us a little bit uh, uh, about your journey church journey that that's led you to you know uh church multiplication associates and and your organic churches and and kind of unpack that a, a little bit 
who is Neil Cole and how has he landed here? <laughs> yeah, I've been asking myself that question. <laughs> um, still not a good answer. I, I, um, I came to Christ as a university student and uh, was discipled in a large megachurch at a time when there weren't very many megachurches. And uh, the pastor left and the church went from 3,500 to 700 in one year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we had a large staff, and it was really difficult for us to maintain things. Um, but more than anything, it caused us to ask questions. We thought we were the big success, the shining light on the hill, and everybody should learn from us. And within a year, we realized we were not doing – it wasn't us doing all this. It was some personality Shortly after that, I took a call as a pastor myself of a church, and it was a smaller community church in, a, in the suburbs of L.A., and was there for almost 10 years, and really enjoyed it, loved the people, loved the ministry there, and I learned a ton. And God took me, it was kind of like, um, I graduated from seminary, and then I went to school. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I started learning as a pastor how to make disciples. Um, what it means to to know God's word and hear God's voice and be obedient and and uh, we stumbled upon the life transformation group uh, method at that time. Most of it was stumbling. Some of it was uh, learning. I, I studied John Wesley so and his class system. So I did I I did have an eye to catch things, but a lot of it was just fumbling and making mistakes and falling forward until we discovered a way that actually multiplied. That, that was a passion of mine from the beginning, and it has never decreased. I, I've always wanted to be part of a real spontaneous multiplication movement. Yes. And everything I do in ministry is, is about that. Yeah. So I've authored several books. After that church, I went out and decided started church planting. And we started seeing not just disciples multiplied, but leaders and and in churches and finally we saw a movement and today there are you know we've we've trained over you know, several hundred thousand church planters and there's churches all over the world um that are part of the movement yeah yeah any idea how many churches now are part of have kind of come out of your work there no um it uh, you know when you're when you're multiplying if you if you double every year you get to the point where you really can't keep track of these yeah. things. Um, yeah. So I, one of the things I say is that if you can count your churches, you're probably not multiplying. <laughs> yeah. You can't count your churches. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and you, you've told stories, you know, multiple places about uh, organic churches popping up around you and you didn't even know anything about them. And when they start multiplying and you don't know anything about it, then that's, you're, you're starting to do something right at that point. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That's yeah. what I long to be a part of. Even to this day, it's what I, I get most excited about. Yeah. That's great. That's actually how uh, we got connected to you or I got connected to you was um, at exponential last year in the, the pre-conference on, on movements. And it was really fascinating. And we, when, when you were talking, I knew, if we could, we needed to bring you to Arkansas because, you know, we really desire to, to be a part of something like that as well. Um, so in, in talking about movements, uh, how do you think we make it more than a buzzword? How do you help churches get off 
high center and begin multiplying themselves, disciples, churches, and move toward uh, a multiplying movement? Um, well, well, one thing that I have learned is that you need to be something worth multiplying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you really have a, a strong, overwhelming passion for Jesus, that's something worth multiplying. And right. so a movement really gets back down to uh, a follower of Jesus who loves Jesus enough to, 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 to die for him. And if that's where you're at, and you, that's something worth multiplying, if you start to multiply that, then movements will inevitably happen after the fourth generation. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it. you know, um, Alan Hirsch and I and others, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the mechanics of movements and the structures that are more conducive or structures that are hindering movements. And all of that's important, but none of that creates the movement. The movement is born from the gospel and nothing else. And that's a changed life is the energy behind all movements. So it, you can simplify it to just a disciple who loves Jesus and wants to make more disciples. Right, right. And if we could unleash, you know, a community of those kind of disciples, uh, a movement would happen. It I just would. So. I think as we all argue in our books and stuff that it's, it's inherent in the gospel itself. Yeah. The gospel is meant to fly uh, as a movement and the church is meant to be a movement. Yeah. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that our church structures can never produce a movement. There is no method that produces movements. Yeah. We have to get our minds out of that idea that if I just do A, B, and C, a movement will happen. That's right. just impossible. Um, so we, we empower our structures and our, our methodology way too much. Uh, that's actually a, a heresy. That's a, the Galatian heresy in the New Testament is to think that my actions can produce spiritual results. Yeah. yeah. They cannot. And uh, when you think that, you are, uh, what does Paul say? You're foolish, you are bewitched, and you are separated from Christ. That's not a, a small thing. <laughs> so we need to not think that our structures and methods can produce spiritual results. Um, but on the flip side of this, the paradox is that we can do methods and structures that can stop spiritual results. Right, right. Uh, so while they cannot ignite them, they cannot create a life change, they can prevent the gospel from spreading. Right. So there is reason to give attention to our structures and our methods and to really um, critique them but they are not what causes the movement. Ultimately, it's, it's just someone that falls deeply in love with Jesus because Jesus first loved them. And then that spreads from one life to another to another. Yeah. How much of the conversation, though, Neil, is around methods? And I mean, even so much that like hearing of somebody talk about a method and just copying and pasting it into our situation and context and just expecting the same result. Brother, that is um, prevalent <laughs> and it is uh, sinister. Yeah, yeah. It is not neutral. When we think that if we just get a, you know, a sexy saxophone on the stage, the church will grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> all we need are lights and fog machines and more people will get saved, then we don't need Jesus. Right? Yeah. That's the problem. That's what Paul wrote to the Galatians. Then Christ died needlessly. Yeah. Um, if you can do all this without Christ, then Christ sacrifice is meaningless. And yeah. I think we are guilty of that all the time, thinking that if we just plug in the right method or the right curriculum, or if we get the right band, we're going to see spiritual fruit. And that is, that's not just wrong. It is, it is sinister in the way that it, it becomes a, it seduces us into a, a, uh, a wrong point of view that will rob us of all the best parts of us. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's very important that we stop seeing things that way. I don't, you know, we're, we have a tendency to think, oh yeah, that's a little minor mistake. It is not a little minor mistake. You know, the, the Corinthians were the most immoral church you can find. I mean, they were divided over celebrity pastors. They, uh, they were, they're, they're, uh, Communion service became a party where people were getting drunk. They had sexual immorality that made the pagans cringe. Right. And Paul called them saints over and over, more than any other church. But when he writes to the Galatians who were trying to do everything by the book, he never used the word saints. Yeah, yeah. He called them fools. And he, that you will not find a more stern rebuke than the book of Galatians. Right. You have right. no plain words to say. Yeah. So I think it's not a minor thing that we think our efforts produce spiritual results. That is the, the worst heresy in the Bible. Jesus didn't like it. He didn't, didn't treat it softly. That's what he punched the Pharisees over with, with words like hypocrites and fools and blind leading the blind. It's not a minor thing, but it is prevalent in the Western church. And it needs to be something that we address, that we recognize, that we repent of. If we, will, we will never see a movement if we think we produce the movement. Right. Well, I was, I'm rereading Organic Church, and I just finished Chapter 4, where uh, you know, the conversation you had about what is the church and these five things that all of us would probably point to, and then pointing out that Jesus was missing from those five things. Well, he's implied, you know, or assumed. Why would you assume Jesus is there, but make sure, that statement, assume Jesus is there, but make sure there's a qualified elder to lead. And I don't know if that, was, that just really jumped out at me this time around. And, uh, and we, we do that so much. Uh, we, we major on so many minor things and miss the main thing. And, uh, that just leapt off the page at me this time. And maybe it's just the season I'm in right now with some of the frustration, some of the things that, you know, we see as, as things we're able to do without the presence of Christ anywhere near. Right. And, and we call it success. That's a whole other question, our sense of metrics, what we measure as success. And we tend to celebrate yeah. what, we, what we measure as success. Yeah. And those are none of the things that Jesus did or celebrated. So I think. Right, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Well, we have, uh, we have several guys. This shift is, is starting to take place with, 
with a, a really great group of guys that are seeing, okay, the old model did not work, uh, never had a chance of really working. Um, what do we do? So we've got a couple of guys uh, that have started kind of reproducing house church kind of uh, uh, networks. Uh, we have a couple of those going on. We have a, uh, a guy right now who is pastoring a First Baptist Church in Northeast Arkansas that uh, just just saw no movement, no growth, anything. And he said, I can't keep doing this. So he's continuing as pastor at First Baptist in this town, but has started um, three house churches in their neighborhood, which has multiplied now to five. And they have seen more baptisms and disciples being made in those house churches than the church, the First Baptist Church in the last several years. I mean, it's just, it's growing at a rapid rate. And, and, it's, and it's taking Jesus to the people rather than asking the people to come to Jesus. And so we're seeing some of that happen. Um, you know, what, would, what advice would you give to pastors in similar situations? They want to see that happen. They're, they're kind of hamstrung by some structures that are and systems that are preventing some of that happening. Do they just leave everything behind and go start new? Can you salvage what exists and still do new? What What would you say in all that? I know you've had those conversations many yeah, times. Yeah. So with, the with the book um, Church Transfusion addresses that how to how to bring this kind of organic life and launch movements out of an established church. Um, I I think it is possible. Um, you know we. The old saying that we've heard is that it's easier to give birth than it is to raise the dead. Um, yeah. Now, none of the ladies we know would say giving birth is easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But, but none of those ladies have also raised the dead more than so, <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> I, I like Christmas, which is about giving birth, but I also like Easter, which is about raising the dead. And it appears to me that Jesus likes to do both. Yeah. So I've never said that we cannot bring renewal and change to an existing church. But in order to raise the dead, you have to admit you've died. <laughs> and, and that's where the, essential component that's where the challenge is, is that a lot of churches are unwilling to die in order to be reborn. And that, my friends, yeah. is not just a, a church renewal problem. That's a gospel problem yes. because the yes. gospel itself is about dying to yourself on a daily basis. And if we resist that as a, as a people, then we are resisting wow. Christ. We are resisting the gospel. Yeah. And so it is a very serious issue. So uh, in order for you to bring the renewal to an established organization, you have to be willing to die to yourself. Um, that doesn't mean you blow it up, but it does mean, that you have an openness in your heart to, to God birthing something new. And if you're not willing to let that happen, then Christ himself is not the head of the church. Right. Gosh. Well, and it's Paul, it's Paul to the Galatians once again. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and that was such a prominent theme to communicate for him and I, I I do think we've missed that somewhere. We expect that in conversion, individual conversion, but not 
what does that what does that have to do with the church as a body right. and as a whole? I think that oftentimes you you can see what's in a, a Christian by what's in Christians gathered. And when you mm. gather them in larger numbers and you do not see the beauty of Christ, then there's a great question of whether it's even in the disciples themselves. Yeah. So it almost is a magnifying glass to look at the what's really happening when you gather them together and they're not willing to die as an organization, then they're probably not willing to die as an individual as well. If they're willing to mm. die as an individual, then when you propose that to the organization, they will embrace it because they've yeah. already been through it. They've already died so and been risen, so it's not a hard thing for them. They've, there's nothing to cling to. Uh, so I think that uh, yeah. it is a challenge. It is a problem, and it does get back to disciple-making, ultimately. The, the disciples themselves are not uh, resurrected disciples. They're just carrying on the old institution yeah we've seen that yeah we've seen that happen in the state more and more we have a recent number that um, about 22 and a half churches a year right now on average in our state are closing SBC Um, churches yeah Yeah. Um, so what we're seeing is those churches closing and and they're asking questions leading up to that for sure and a lot of them have been praying prayers about reaching young families or, or just reaching people in general. And they prayed prayers and they, and you can tell they're brokenhearted that they haven't really seen it happen. And we've seen many of these churches who can either merge with the church plant or, or given their building to a church plant or engaged in some type of replant conversation. And it's through the dying of the existing church and the rebirth of a new church that their prayers that they prayed have actually now come to fruition. And, but it's so interesting. Had they never been willing to die, they never would have seen their prayers answered. Yeah. So they're and, being faced with, forced to face the inevitable. And that is that swallowing that pill has allowed them to be reborn. I think that's, that's important. Yeah. I, I actually propose in one of my books that that um that a successful growing church that's growing through addition that is a seeker driven church and it's the hottest thing in town is is it will be harder for that church to become a movement than the small church that's struggling to survive around the corner simply Mm. because the church that's struggling to survive is more open to dying to be reborn they're more right. They are not having to give up all this success and everything that comes with it in order to do it. I'm not saying that a large successful church cannot re, uh, die to itself and be born again. Some of them can, but it is harder for them. It's like it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 God all things are possible, yeah. and I'm not saying it's not, but but it's very rare for a large, growing, successful mega church to transition. And it's easier for a church that's struggling to survive to, to, uh, to make that shift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, we're having more and more. I just had a phone call this afternoon, right before the podcast, a church that is they're They're about, they're about 20, uh, all, uh, older people and, uh, you know, well, and they're, 70s 80s and 
trying to continue to do church the way they've always done it, realizing that that won't work, particularly in their situation, and trying to figure out what to do. They've got a big building, a lot of resources, but no life. And so they're calling us and saying, what do we do? What can we do? Um, and, and it's, so it's, they know they're in the death throes right now, but fighting the death throes every step of the way, when, if they would just release that and die, new life can, can happen. And those conversations are happening more and more now and trying to restart something or start something new in those settings, um, is a great conversation. Like the pastor you described, he just, he went out off the campus started something fresh. Um, and so basically your choice is you birth something new, but there is the possibility of bridging back what you've learned to the organization. But the yeah. organization has to be willing to do that. Um, yeah. And if they are, that, that transformation can bring change to the organization. They could do it again intentionally and then again intentionally. But, yeah. but there has to be that bridge. Otherwise, you're just giving birth to new churches and I'm all in favor of that. I'm all about church planting, but uh, if you want to bring renewal, you have to let something uh, happen outside the campus and then bridge it back, bridge the learning and the enthusiasm back into the church. And that's, that's where the struggle comes because now you're running into those laggards that want to keep everything the same are threatened by the new. And that's where you, you have to deal with that. And some of that's happening. The, initially, it was he and his wife and family that were stepping out to do these new uh, house churches. And he had a couple of other people in the community, but not a part of their church that were helping them with this. Well, now it started to filter back into the church, and some of the people are seeing that the growth is happening outside their four walls. And now they're asking questions, how can we be a part of that? And it's starting to bring some new life to that existing right existing place which is this is what they supposed to have been doing all along (laughs) as the church uh they've just never seen that never been a part of that didn't think they could do it they've lost uh, uh the power of the gospel uh to transform and bring life out of death they've lost uh, uh any kind of vision for that taking taking place and thought that it could take place and so they had to go start something new outside, let it filter back in to see, hey, this is possible. There are some things that can happen you know, with us still. And so we, we have about four or five of those examples. and We'd love to have about 500 of those examples. <laughs> so, All real movements start slow and small. They do, yeah. If you yeah. start it fast and large, then it won't be moving. Right, right. Well, I told, uh, I was talking with Brad Briscoe uh, not too long ago, and I said, you know, man, I said, when I first started doing church planning for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, he was the first guy I called. And uh, we had met before that. He was kind of in the same network, same, similar job in Kansas City. And so we had lots of conversations early on. And I told him, I said, uh, you know, I, I felt like we could change this paradigm to a certain extent, I just didn't realize how long it was going to take and how hard it was going to be. And, uh, uh, when, and it's, and it's the old adage that, uh, you know, the one who is drowning fights the one who is trying to rescue them. (laughs) And, uh, we've seen a lot of that. 
And uh, but but really starting to see some new life develop now that that's giving giving some excitement and some hope uh, that things are changing. So yeah, very good. Once again, no pressure, but I think you're going to be very timely <laughs> in April. <laughs> well, like I said, we can't our, we can't do it anyway, so there's no pressure on me. That's right. That's right. That's you, right. You talked about kind of bridging the kind of new thing back to the existing organization. That's part of why we've kind of asked you to to talk about the topic of starting a disciple making movement because we feel like that's the need of the church planter, you know, to, to, as they start to think in terms of disciple making and not, not worship services, but making disciples and to think movement from day one. But then we're also thinking about the existing church who are, who's trying to get to a, a better reach and a better movement and so how did they from inside the organization create disciple making movement so that's kind of why we landed on that topic so could you give us just a short little preview or snapshot of what when we kind of said that to you you uh, humbly (laughs) received that and we're willing to do that what kind of came to your mind or what do you feel like for the day you've kind of got in mind to, to share with us i i i think that uh we are in a day and an age where this is no longer something we can put off. We need to do it now uh, because the world itself around us is, is changing. It's, um, see, in multiplication, it starts slow and small, and then as it starts multiplying, it hits this, what they call the hockey stick curve, the, the upswing, and then it's fast and furious and all over the place. The world itself has hit that upswing. And everything around us is changing so fast, we don't even, we cannot keep up. And the yeah. church is not. Yeah. So it's to the point now where we either make this shift now or we're extinct overnight. It's that, it's that important. So I would like to address that. And I think the, the simplest step to become exponential is to, deci- is to multiply just disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do. Not He never told us to even plant a church, let alone multiply a church. What right, he right. told us to do was to make disciples that can make disciples. When you make a disciple, you teach them to obey Jesus' command, and one of his commands is make disciples, and that is multiplication to the ends of the earth. So simply making disciples that follow Jesus and are able to do that in turn is the only hope we have to survive and thrive in this exponentially chaotic world. And that's, that's what I would like to address. And it's not that hard. It really is. If just one person that I talk to out of all the people we talk to, if one person decides to take it seriously and make a disciple who in one year, that disciple can make a disciple. That doesn't seem that big of a stretch. That's all it would take. They keep multiplying, each one taking a new one every year. In 34 years, the whole world is one for Christ. We can go home. Yeah. 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 That's, that sounds so simple. And it never gets more complicated than me, one disciple in one year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah. we have to do. So that's what I would like to talk about, how you can do that and how simple it is. Um, in disciple-making, one of the major core um, 
elements you will you will discover when you study movements both in history and all over the world today there are movements you can study one of the universal characteristics of movements is a filtering that takes place and we have lost filtering filtering is something we are not interested in and we need to be interested in it what i mean by filtering is that we do not try to have everybody take the same step forward at the same time hmm. because they're not yeah. going to jesus said there's four kinds right. of soil three receive the word with joy sprout out quickly but of the three only one bears fruit we need to start filtering the bad soil in order to be a multiplication movement now in alan's language uh, the forgotten ways he talks about liminality liminality is an external force that you face intentionally and it brings about a filtering in most movements persecution is that filtering process but we do not have to have persecution to see that happen what persecution right. does is it forces the disciple to say i will live for jesus i will die for jesus and that's a disciple worth multiplying we don't have to wait for persecution to filter but we do need to filter and part of the problem is in our minds, we, are, we, we move forward only together. Unless we have a, a unanimous decision, we won't do it. And right there, Satan yeah. has one person stopping the whole program. And yeah. because we don't filter, in fact, we do the opposite of filtering. Our success, our heroes, are the ones who gather the most bad soil. <laughs> We're the ones writing the books, yeah. going on the tour, doing the lecture tour, and, and teaching everyone else how to do it. And so we yeah. celebrate the people who get the most bad soil. And, and, yeah. and that's just, we wonder why we're not bearing fruit. It's because we're not good soil. Because we, yeah. The good soil's too busy trying to make the bad soil happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. We, we have to filter. And so for me, the place to apply the filtering is in the disciple-making process. So one of the things I will talk about is uh, this is not going to work for everybody, and that's good. We don't want it to work for everybody. We don't want to multiply bad soil. Right. Right. You know, so that's... You don't outsource, you don't outsource that, right? You don't outsource that, you know. <laughs> Export it. <laughs> well, and we have, I have conversations with pastors all the time when we're talking about disciple making or multiplying groups, whatever. And we'll hear this. Well, I don't have anybody that will go with me on that. I'm like, okay, you've got a few at least. There, there's always a remnant, you know, there's somewhere, you know, that will, that will take the plunge and go on the adventure with you. Start with them whether anybody else comes along or not, and they're probably not going to do, uh, start with them and have that conversation all the time. And then getting them to take that step to start with those people uh, is, all, is a challenge in itself. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a great word. So th um, that's what I'll talk about is, is that discipleship okay. needs sounds to be great. high bar. It needs to, we need to lower the bar of how we do church and then raise the bar of what it means to be a disciple. And, uh, and not expect everyone to do it. And just be glad right. to run with those who want to run. And let everybody else yeah. 
do whatever it is they want to do. Um, but I'm going to invest my life. I'm going to, I'm going to invest my blood with those who are willing to love Jesus and do the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. One more question. Yeah. If you could uh, say, if you give one, one word, one, say one thing to our church planners or pastors out there, listeners out there, uh, what would it be? This is that million dollar question. If you could say one thing, maybe something you wish you had known then that you know now, or some piece of advice somebody gave you that kind of changed the way you think, if you could say one thing, what would it be? Um, well, one of my, <laughs> one of my uh, spiritual gifts is the ability to simplify things and yet keep them profound. And so the right answer for every question I ever get asked is listen to Jesus and do what he says. And that would yeah. be the best advice for anybody. Uh, so yeah. now I can be more practical than that. I, well, I, no, you can't. You can't be more practical than that. That, that is <laughs> as practical as you can be. But I can be more specific than that. Uh, for the yeah. church planter, um, Crucify your dreams of a large mega church where you're the star, because that's not what Jesus came for. Um, right. What he came for is somebody that is, uh, was lost and is now found. And if you can celebrate that, if you can look for that, then you're joining Jesus in the mission he's pursuing. You're not doing it for him. You're joining him as he does it. And that is that's when the wind catches your sails and things start to move and you start to feel you're a part of a, uh, an expanding movement that is, that is millennia old, <laughs> that, is, that is moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's not about making you the center of the stage, making your sermon the most important uh, hour in everybody's week. That's just not it. Um, I, I love to communicate God's word. I, I love to preach, but it's not the main thing. There was a time when I was a, uh, a young pastor working on a sermon, and I heard the, I felt God's presence in the, I was in a booth at a Denny's, and I felt God's presence, and I, I heard him say, you know, you're never going to preach the sermon that causes the third great awakening. Uh. And suddenly my sermon prep went from 30 hours a week to three hours a week yeah. and my disciple making launched way up high and LTGs were born and things started happening and my sermons got better. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Cause so, there was less of you yes, in them. <laughs> exactly. So for the young church planner, I would just say die to your dreams and your hopes and let Jesus burn birth something beyond your imagination and don't just yeah. hold on to your ambitions because uh, your ambitions will kill you in the end if they're, if they're not surrendered and died to Jesus. Yeah. So what I heard was spend more time at Denny's. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? That's the grand slam right there. That's right. That's where the Holy Spirit resides. All my best disciple <laughs> making happens with coffee. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't think you can be saved without coffee. Uh, right. 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 Amen. Well, I had a uh, I had a Stobies this morning. That's that's uh, unique to Conway, where you're coming here in April. Uh, and I had a uh, uh, a breakfast called the the Big Mess. Big mess. 
Yeah, and it was uh, a layer of biscuits with hash browns, sausage, ham, peppers, mushrooms on top of that, and then eggs over the top of that, and then gravy over the top of that. And it may have been the best thing I've ever – I'll probably die of a heart attack this evening, but that was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. (laughs) Can't get that at Denny's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right, we're going to wrap up. We we do a segment we call Rapid Fire uh, with all of our guests, and these are burning questions that our listeners are dying to know about our guests. Maybe not the most important questions – but fun questions nonetheless. So, so we're just, just quick, short answers. And, uh, I, we have to remind some guys that this is rapid fire, not a slow oh. walk. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so top one or two books that you've read that have had the most impact on you. Um, uh, missionary methods, St. Paul's or ours by Roland Allen. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, what what would you say is your biggest strength in ministry and your biggest weakness? Biggest strength is to uh, see the big picture and come up with some a simple plan uh, that everyone can do. Um, biggest weakness, um, I'm, I'm I can be passive. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, favorite hobby or pastime? I love cinema, and I and if I could every day, I'd scuba dive, but I can't every day. So, <laughs> so, do you, so do you live near a beach? Yeah, I, I live in Los Angeles. Ocean? Yeah. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> how, about, how about your favorite movie? Since you enjoy the cinema, uh, I think my all-time favorite would be the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, There's there a lot of others. We could have a whole blog yeah. podcast series on. <laughs> uh, I am a I am a movie junkie, and I love independent films. Uh, there just seems to be a hunger and a life in some of those films oh, that yeah. that you don't get yeah. in major productions. It's true. So yeah, we could talk movies a long time. D- Dave is a walking rejection of mainstream. <laughs> Yeah. It's not just it's not just as it relates to movies but music and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if it's if the masses love it, I just assume it's not I see good. now why you're asking me to come. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> come, on. come on. Oh goodness. That's, that's a good, that's good. That's yeah. You, you win. Yeah. You win. It's I think it's just because I find myself on the margins a lot, pushed there. And so obviously the masses are stupid or they would elevate me as, you know, so no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> speaking of music. Uh speaking of music, what favorite band or musician? That's a harder one. There's so many. I, it's either the Beatles or Led Zeppelin for me. Okay. All right. I, hey, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Led Zeppelin is uh, in my top three all-time favorites just because they were originators of so much. And uh, Alan and I have that conversation quite a bit uh, with Brad Briscoe about who the greatest rock band ever is. He says you too, and Alan and I say Led Zeppelin. And so Alan doesn't say you too? No, he doesn't say you too. He says Led oh, Zeppelin. Good for him. All right. I like him more now. Yeah. I like you too. Don't get me wrong. You too fine. Yeah. yeah. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Neil, thank thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. We really, really, really appreciate it. And and we're we're so looking forward to having you in the state. 
and just having you share and just be just just having you here to be with the folks uh i i, I don't know i don't mean to say this to blow smoke but just something about being around you you catch your passion and love for the lord yeah. and and we want to do that we want we want people to catch that here yeah. so it, you, you it, i caught it at exponential last year and i think if people could kind of catch that yeah. and then and then filter that back to your books and stuff i think it's going to help us a lot so yeah. looking forward to it. Well, i look yeah. forward to being with you yeah it's going to be great well uh that's it for this episode of the grind uh april 19th and 20th uh, check out our website for the Eventbrite registration yeah, it's, it's page. ABSC.org slash Neil Cole. Yep, that's real easy. Um, Simple. Yeah. <laughs> we, we did not put Cornelius Cole on there. We put Neil Cole. Is that safe? That's fine. <laughs> Are you no longer coming now that I've said that? No, I'm, I am both. I am both. Cornelius Cole right. right. and Neil Cole. Yeah, I'm writing. I'm writing. I wrote a novel, and I'm writing it under the pen name Cornelius Cole. So my fiction name will be Cornelius Cole, and my nonfiction is Neil. That's <laughs> awesome. So cool. when will that be coming out? Oh well, I I don't know. Uh, and can you give a plot synopsis? <laughs> it is a, a young adult time travel love story. Awesome. I can't I wait. Futuristic dystopian. Yeah, love it. Well, well you're, now you're you may gain mainstream success with that because that's the rage oh, right now. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ready Player One is about to come out, and uh, you know, following on the heels of Hunger Games and Divergent, and so there you go. Yeah, I hope I'm not too late to get in on that one, but yeah. Right. See, you may have mass market appeal after all. You're selling yourself all short. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, Neil, thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you in thanks. April. Look forward to it.